to Powwow Life Podcast from powwows.com, connecting you with Native culture since 1996. Here's your host, Paul Gowder. He's an author and filmmaker. He's a graduate of Yale with a Bachelor in Film Studies and Columbia University with a Master's in Creative Writing and Fiction. He's an enrolled member of the Navajo Nation and grew up on the reservation. Currently lives in Brooklyn, New York. As an undergraduate, he won a fellowship with the Sundance Ford Foundation, which helped him do a feature-length script. He's worked on several short films and documentary series produced by the New York Times. He was a participant of the sixth annual Native American TV Writers Lab with the Native American Media Alliance, where he learned to write his scripts in television. And you'll hear in the interview, he talks about writing scripts and, and screenplays and what that, how that differs from writing books. But I think you'll enjoy this interview with Brian Young, Navajo author. Well, thanks so much for being here today. I'm curious to hear the kind of the the story and the, how you got the idea of the writing the books, he, uh, Healer of the Water Monster. I'm not familiar with that story, but it sounds it sounds pretty interesting having a water monster story. Tell me more about it. Of course. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> On your show, um, powwows.com. It's such an amazing pleasure to talk about it. So, Healer of the Water Monster is based on my nation. I am Diné, otherwise known as Navajo, um, based on my nation's creation story, Hajine Bafanet, or the story of emergence. And in that story, we Diné believe that we are currently residing in the fourth world. And the third world was a water world ruled by water monsters. And it was in that time that first man and first woman kidnapped a water monster. And thus we were um, barred and <laughs> um, forbidden from living in there. And that's how we came into the fourth world. So water monsters in my book um, and the fictional additions I made to the creation mythology, I say that water monsters followed those first beings first man first woman turkey all the bugs um animals winged animals um after those first beings emerged into the fourth world i say that water monsters emerged after them as well and with them they brought water which became the sources of water in denepikea so for those of you who don't understand what denepikea means it's kind of a, the land of the navajo um literally but it kind of refers to the traditional um, ancestral homelands of the Ne, um, which is current, which is in the four sacred mountains, so Sistanjina, or uh, the eastern sacred mountain, so southern sacred mountain, Doko Slid, uh, western sacred mountain, and Nahankostrigo, the Ben the northern sacred mountain. And I forgot all their English names, but I do know that um, <laughs> the southern one, so is. Um, just outside of Grants, New Mexico, and the western one I know for sure is San Francisco Peaks, and that's just right outside of Flagstaff, and the northern one is, I believe, in southern Colorado, and the eastern one, I completely forget where it is, but I just know it's east. Um, so that's um, the Nepikea, the traditional ancestral homelands. And I say that water monsters brought water from the third world, and that became the foundation of all the moisture on the Nepikea. And in the story, um, there is a young Navajo boy. His name is Nathan. So he is modern, contemporary. He has a smartphone. He's very into video games. 
he comes across a sick water monster while spending his summer with his paternal grandmother, whom he calls Nolly, in Church Rock, New Mexico. So that's just uh, like about a 40, depending on how fast you drive, 20 to 40 minute drive away from Gallup, New Mexico. And so this water monster has been sick for about 30 years. And because the water monster is sick, um, there is a drought, a 30-year drought. Because the water monster that Nathan encounters, he has to sing a collection of 12 songs in order to make it rain in that area. And because of the sickness that he is enduring, he's unable to sing the songs. So Nathan is tasked with healing the water monster to end the drought in that area. And it's been um, a very long journey getting it from when I first had the thoughts and into a book. That's awesome. And the book's out now, right? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, And, you know, I'm curious when I've talked to several authors and everybody comes to kind of comes at writing a different way. Some people are, you know, come through and, and train and are, you know, have English degrees or whatever, but your background I think is a little more in film. So what's the difference in telling stories um, in film or script writing and then in the book, you know, what was that, that experience like? I feel like with writing for scripts and, you know, television, film scripts, it's a largely external um, medium. Like you have to put a lot of emphasis on the visuals and indicate internal emotions through external movements. Um, not to say that, you know, great script writing doesn't have internal elements, but largely it focuses on describing the world, describing the characters, describing action. So it's very, very external. And when I started writing Healer of the Water Monster, it initially began as a feature-like script. Um, I was living in Albuquerque at the time. It was the mid-20-teens. And... I absolutely hated writing it as a feature-length script um, because there's a lot of rules and constraints. Um, script screenwriting is a very, very economic art. Like you have to very, very efficiently condense everything into a 120-page script. And when I was writing it, um, Healer of the Water Monster, the ideas just kept growing and growing and growing. And I felt like it was going to be a multi-movie. Um, to do the story justice, it had to be right. multiple movies. And in addition to that, um, part of the reason why I had such a frustrating experience writing it, at least as a feature-length script, was a lot of the attitudes towards native stories in film, whether it be TV or, you know, feature length movies was very negative. Um, we, me and other native filmmakers in Albuquerque at the time, we were working on our scripts. We were directing each other and helping each other with our short movies and films. And we were just like literally working for, for nothing. We were, we were working for the love of stories and each other. And when I was writing Heal the Water Monster, I knew that a lot of the obstacles that I was encountering being a native screenwriter would have applied to Healer of the Water Monster as a feature in the script. And a lot of times, me and my native filmmakers, we were told, like, if you want to sell the script, you have to make your main character white or half white so a white actor could play the role. And 
that really frustrated me and I did not want to make that accommodation for the story because Healer of the Water Monster is deeply entrenched in Navajo philosophies, Navajo storytelling, the Navajo creation mythology, and just present-day living conditions on the Nebuchadnezzar, on the Navajo homelands and the Navajo reservation. And yeah, that's where a lot of my frustration came from. It's just like I knew that those restrictions of the 100-page script were going to be there, and the story kept getting bigger. And I knew that once I got it to a pitchable position, I would be encountering those often racist sentiments that there was no audience for Native voices. Like That was the mindset of the time for a lot of film executives. And it just dawned on me one day, it's like, you know, you're hating writing this, you are frustrated, but you love the idea. Why not try a book? And I don't know why I, that thought came in, but I'm thankful it did because that was a pivotal point in how Healer of the Water, Healer of the Water Monster came out to be. And the moment I started writing of the book, all those restrictions were gone. All the... Because the nature of the story, Heal of the Water Monsters, deals with depicting uh, Deneth deities, or as I call them, holy beings, and there were a ton of them being represented in my book, I knew that to do the story justice, if it were a film, it would need a very, very big budget, a very, very sizable budget to do the depiction of these holy beings justice. So writing the script, I was just like, this is going to be expensive, this is going to cost a lot, and... I'm already dealing with that mentality of there's no audience for native voices. And when I pivoted to writing a book, all those frustrations, all those anxieties, all that anger I was having towards the industry, film industry just disappeared. And all I found in writing the book was just space and freedom that I didn't have while being a screenwriter. And so that's initially how I started down the path of becoming um, an author and turning it into a book as opposed to a movie first. And how wrong those people were. I mean, now I feel like we're at a total renaissance of native storytelling in, in TV and movies. Uh, there seems to be a real appetite for it. Uh, it it's funny how times swing, right? <laughs> um, well, and so thinking about that, how is as the book has been out there, um, for me, it's interesting to see in this renaissance of storytelling that people outside uh, of kind of Indian culture are are really are engaged in these stories, whether it's Reservation Dogs or Spirit uh, Rangers on Netflix, the, the animated show, that there is people coming in from the outside and hearing these stories. So how, is it, have, how, how has the reaction been um, from people outside reading this? Are they – you know, are they accepting of it? Are they curious? Or, you know, what has that been like? Yeah, I definitely agree that there has been a huge push to diversifying the stories that we are producing and also engaging with. And I'm very thankful for that, especially in the publishing industry. Um, that push has been there um, and has been, I don't want to say capitalized, but has been um, helped with with um, We Need Diverse Books, uh, with the movement on Twitter, such as um, hashtag DVPit, hashtag Own Voices. So even before this huge renaissance in the film industry, 
there was a huge push for diverse voices in the publishing industry, specifically for young readers. And I, when I pivoted towards writing a book as opposed to a screen, that's when that kind of wave, when that initial push was really starting to gain traction. And it's been a wonderful experience, um, largely because now I can have actual numbers to point to these film executives who initially told me there's no <laughs> there's no audience for native <laughs> right. native stories and she's like well here we go here's um what your fear and what your prejudices prevented you from seeing um we have been telling stories we as indigenous peoples all across the united states united nations united states all 570, I believe, 78 nations, federally recognized nations and the state recognized nations. Like we have been storytellers long before we were colonized. And we have our own forms of storytelling that are unique to our indigenous heritages. So when it comes to readers and audiences who aren't specifically Navajo, because, you know, even Native people who aren't Navajo are, I'm very, very thankful, are really, really engaging with Healer of the Water Monster. And I call it Nathan's story because it really is. Nathan's the main character. And it always just felt like to me that it was his story. But a lot of non-Dene people have warmly welcomed his, his journey. And I'm very thankful for that. And I think a lot of that is um, it's just that uh, gosh, I'm going to sound like um, <laughs> just someone who's all up in his own his own head. Um, I feel that I did the best I could telling the story and the effort, the love that I had invested into this helped strengthen it to the point where it can be approachable and digestible by many different people from different nations. And also, it's just Nathan's a kid. Um, his, indigen his indigenous identity is a part of who he is, yes. But he's dealing with with kid stuff. Um, he is the son of parents who are going through a divorce. And unfortunately, that's pretty common for a lot of us these days. So there are universal aspects of just him existing in a modern world that a lot of kids can relate to. Um, so that's been really, really exciting to see that non-Dinette people are, you know, um, welcoming to his story. And, uh, so you kind of touched on what I was going to ask next, you know, with, with some of the stories that are out there now, it's kind of twofold. What I like to see is, you know, we have people um, that are learning to appreciate different aspects of native culture, understanding it better, understanding what it's like to, to live on a reservation or what it's like to be an, an urban Indian. But then also the stories that, that you and others are telling are so relatable because they have universal uh, morals and universal lessons. So yeah, what are some of those things that you're hoping that uh, young kids or adults are going to be able to take from, from Nathan's story? Well, specifically with healer of the water monster, my debut book, um, I, I tried not to be too didactic or too um, teachy, I guess is another word to say. But if there is one thing that was a guiding kind of uh, philosophy that I wanted to imbue to young Navajo kids, specifically young Diné, um male kids, is that 
kindness is powerful, that there is healing, there's power, there's medicine in being kind. I always felt that Nathan was just a normal kid, that he was could be anyone that you see on the reservation, or in his specific case, because he lives in Phoenix, he's also an urban indigenous kid. Um, he's just a regular kid that you meet while walking down the street, going on the bus or in the train. I guess Phoenix doesn't have trains. <laughs> um, but he was just like a regular res kid. And so for me, that was a very important thing that he wasn't this chosen being because of ancestry of, you know, being a descendant of, you know, some powerful God. Like, no, he's just a regular kid who happens to be, um, Navajo who happens to have this amazing capacity for empathy and kindness. And I always, always felt that Nathan's superpower is empathy and kindness. And that allows him to interact with a lot of the Dene holy beings, the Dene deities, and allows him to go on this amazing journey and carries him through this amazing journey. And in addition to the storyline of Nathan healing um, the water monster, he's also healing his uncle. So there are two storylines happening that deal with the healing journey. There's the water monster aspect and the his uncle Jet, who is a wartime veteran who is dealing with PTSD, substance abuse, specifically alcohol, and depression as well. And especially with a lot of kids on the reservation, having a family relative who is addicted to substances, not necessarily just alcohol, but also having to deal with undiagnosed anxiety disorders. Like that's unfortunately a very, very extremely common experience for a lot of res kids. So that was very important for me to get across was that his, because of his ability to want to help, to be kind to people around him, that's what allows him to go on this journey and to succeed or oops, spoiler alert, <laughs> succeed <laughs> or not succeed um, in his quest. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm now I'm, I'm anxious to get into the book and, and read it myself. Um, so we finished our first book now. Are, are, what's next? Are we, are you going to go back into doing some script writing and working on some, some films or uh, are we working on more books? What's next for you? So actually, my second book just came out All right. <laughs> a few weeks ago, um, May 23, and it's um, I feel like it's a sequel, but my editor, publicist, they call it a companion novel, and they are the professionals in labeling these stories, so I'm going to go with that. It's a companion novel, but it's a direct continuation, and I'm so very proud of it. It's starting to get a lot of critical praise and reviews um but it definitely continues uh, especially with the recent supreme court ruling against the navajo nation and our sovereignty over water rights um i feel this is a very timely book because it talks about well it alludes to navajo nation water rights um so as I mentioned earlier, um, I was describing the synopsis for a healer of the water monster. Water monsters um, control and protect bodies of water, including rivers, lakes, and ponds. And so 
the first water monster to follow us, her water became the foundation of all the water on the Navajo Nation, which is the San Juan River. And so when she returns to the fourth world, because she's been in the third world healing for 160 years, when she returns to the fourth world, she discovers that her water has been draining, that it's almost on the verge, the tipping point of drying out. So she believes that there is a huge monstrous enemy that is stealing all her water um, and all the water across the Nepikea on the Navajo Nation. So she, Nathan, and this new protagonist, his name is Edward, um, go on a quest to find this enemy before it can cause destructive, before it can cause cataclysmic destruction on the fourth world. All um, right. There's so much I want to talk about, but I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> um, <laughs> awesome. So that's all right. Uh, all right. So we got two out. Working on. Mm-hmm. Is, so we're going to do a trilogy. <laughs> I'm hoping to do a quadrilogy. Oh, there you go. All right. Yeah, um, because with the uh, philosophy, and I feel like a lot of indigenous philosophy, like four is a very sacred number. And so when I was writing Heal the Water Monster, I had that kind of goal to do four books. The first one is East or uh, Ha'a, and the South, Southern is he- Heroes. So I have two more West and North um, to do. <laughs> so we will see. Um, but definitely four. I have ideas on where the story could go and very excited to see what happens. But my agent and I are also discussing and planning and strategizing how and when to pitch these books to um, streaming services is my goal Um, because there has been kind of little interests here and there to buy the movie rights for these books, but that would be the next step um, for transitioning this into a cinematic interpretation. And when I was writing, when I made that pivot towards writing a book, it was always kind of this long-term goal of first writing the book then demonstrating to those film executives, uh, Hey, dumb dumb hats (laughs) or hey you people who told me no look at these numbers look at my sales and then making it into a movie eventually or a cinematic version of it love that that's awesome and it is crazy you know they they missed yeah it's one of the things you can go back now and say i told you so but man what a miss um they had they had it there and and could have moved forward with it and been on the forefront. Um, that's a, that's a bad one. Um, so I always like to ask people, um, you know, as a storyteller, if, if there's somebody watching that is interested in, in, you know, whether it's writing or screen or scripts or whatever, and they want to tell stories and what is your advice, what kind of, who are your role models and, and what's the, what's a path that people can go down to, to becoming a storyteller like this? I personally think um, ingesting and reading, especially if you're wanting to write books, um, read as many books as possible, Um, especially books that you personally do not like and ask yourself, why isn't this working for me? Why do I not like this book? And try to pinpoint these moments when, you know, you don't like a story or you're disengaged in a story or and on the opposite end, when you find a book that you really do enjoy, like how did that author hook you into it and maintain um, keeping your interest? And similar with screenwriting, 
read scripts, as many scripts as possible. There are resources online that have PDF versions of many, many public domain um, scripts. And just figure out like how how you became invested in that script and when and why and also with scripts that you don't like as well like when and why did you not like certain things and the more you kind of can pinpoint these moments the easier it will be for you to kind of write and create these moments for yourself and especially as indigenous people i'm also going to say listen to your elders listen to your traditional stories because we have these avenues to connect to our ancestors through these stories and these stories are here for a reason they helped our ancestors navigate the world around them and so there is so much value and if you can try to connect with an elder and talk about you know traditional forms of storytelling because our ancestors also had our own philosophies and that's very 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 sacred and very very special and if we don't continue our own tribal forms of storytelling, then it's going to get lost, man. And that's not not a good place to be. Like it, it, the world would be a lot less rich if it, if we ever do lose these forms of storytelling. So, in addition to you know engaging with stories in the Western world, engage with stories in your traditional world as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you spending a few minutes with us and talking about your books. Um, uh, and I hope everybody out there will go grab a copy. Uh, it, they're available on all the normal resources, correct? Yes. So I am published with Heart Drum, which is a native focus imprint, the first native focus imprint at one of the big five. It might be the big four right now. Um, but being a part of that family with HarperCollins, um, my book is available at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, even Target. Um, if they don't have it, um, you can also like request and order it. But I highly recommend buying from indigenous bookstores, such as Red Planet Comics and Books, which is based in Albuquerque, New Mexico, as well as BirchBarkBooks.com, which is owned by the amazing Louise Erdrich. Um, so if you can try and buy from indigenous booksellers. That's great. And I knew about red comic. I did not, I think I've heard of the, the Birch store, but um, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for the resources. I hope everybody will go and grab a copy and thank you so much. Again, appreciate you spending some time with us and tell us about your stories. Thank you. I appreciate um, being on here. Thanks again, Brian, for coming on. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Like I said, it's a really cool way he has melded his stories together using his traditional Navajo teaching and the, the stories from the Navajo and, and working that in. Super cool. If you've got some young kids, um, great books for them. I think I may buy them too and check them out. Thanks for listening to the Powwow Life podcast from powwows.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified of our next episode. Find a powwow near you by visiting www.powwows.com forward slash calendar. Support powwows.com by visiting www.powwownation.com.
Good luck. Here's this week's trivia question. You can head over to powwowlife.com to fill out the form and submit your answer. All the right answers are entered into a drawing for a 10-sticker powwows.com sticker pack. Here's the question. This year, we are celebrating a big milestone. We have been live streaming for a number of years. So tell me, what year was the first year we streamed and what was the first powwow we streamed? If you've been listening or following our content, you should be able to find it. Good luck. Powwowlife.com to submit your answer. What was the first powwow and what year did we first live stream? Good luck and thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week.